going to uh, have a call to worship, um, and we're going to uh, share this together um, at our last Kirk session. We were speaking about the the struggles that we have when we're in person with not being able to sing, and it feels more passive than we would like. Uh, so we're going to introduce some uh, elements where we can participate together uh, so we can speak truth uh, to one another. So our call to worship uh, comes from Psalm 89. I'll read the part marked leader, and then we can all read the part marked all, if you feel comfortable to do so. Uh, so Psalm 89 from the beginning. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. And now we will uh, sing in our hearts here, uh, and you can sing uh, your heart out at home uh, from uh, Psalm 96. We're going to hear the first 10 verses. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord, sing praises to his name, and his salvation day by day let all the earth proclaim. His glory and his mighty deeds to Stand together for our time of prayer. Let's pray. 
Lord, your word calls us uh, to praise you, uh, to ascribe to your name the glory that is due. We thank you for all that we've been able to hear and read of your glory, which is matchless. There is no other God who compares uh, with you. We thank you <coughs> that we have heard of your covenant promise to King David uh, that you would send a king who would rule forever. We thank you for that promise uh, that you are a God who brings salvation, uh, that you act in faithfulness to your word in order to save a people for yourself. And Lord, we thank you as we come to Advent that we see all these great realities and truths and promises uh, being fulfilled in the sending of your son Jesus uh, to become one of us, to be a God-made flesh and to dwell among us so that we might see your glory, the glory as of the one and only, full of grace and truth. And we thank you that Jesus uh, came to live among us in order to uh, live that perfect life of obedience that we could never live and to die as a perfect sacrifice, as our substitute, uh, taking on himself the penalty for our sin so that in Jesus we might truly uh, be saved, uh, saved from uh, the wages of sin, uh, which is death, to enjoy eternal life with you. Lord, we thank you uh, that Jesus has come as our good shepherd uh, to call us to himself, to call us into life and to lay down his life for us. We would confess that at times we are prone to wander, uh, to walk away from his word, to walk away from your love, uh, that we take for granted uh, our Savior and our salvation, uh, that we don't always want to hear your voice, and we will often resist it and disobey. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can look to Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, to recognize by faith in him and by his wounds we are healed. So in our weakness, we come to uh, him to find our strength and our hope. Uh, Lord, as we look to Jesus, our King, may you give strength to our faith. Lord, we thank you for your word that we will uh, hear read and preached. And we ask that you would take that word and you would plant it in our hearts and that you would change us, uh, that for some you would save us, uh, for others uh, you would strengthen our faith so that together uh, we might know uh, real joy this Advent, the joy of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you that we can share together in worship and that one way we can do that is by praying together. We thank you uh, for the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples, uh, the Lord's Prayer, which we can now pray together saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, our Old Testament reading this morning, it comes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah and chapter 46. If you have it in your Bibles or on your device, you can look that up, and otherwise the words will be on the screen. We're going to hear together the first nine verses. Isaiah chapter 46 from the beginning. Let's hear God's word together. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low, their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Amen. This is God's word. Now, before I hand over uh, to Keith to, to lead us in our first uh, Advent study, I'm going to pray again. We can remain seated while we pray this time. Lord God, we thank you for the testimony of your word that you are a God without equals. Lord, we ask that you would help us uh, to learn uh, the reality of verse 9 that I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. That we would learn it so that we would place our confidence, our hope, our dependence on you alone. Lord, we pray that uh, in our preaching, in our uh, Advent devotionals, in our praying and serving, uh, we would want above all else uh, that you would be glorified and recognized as the one true God and Jesus as your son whom you have sent to be our savior. Lord, we pray that that message would be heard as uh, Christians and churches uh, through this city, through this country and around the world uh, seek to uh, point people uh, to the good news of Jesus, uh, the son you promised to send to be savior. Lord, we pray uh, for uh, some of the churches in our uh, dom denomination today. We're asked to pray for uh, London City. Uh, we thank you for the connections that we have with that church. Uh, we pray for them as uh, they find themselves back in a lockdown situation. 
We ask that you would encourage and strengthen uh, Andy and Harrison and those who work down there. Uh, We thank you for uh, new life. We thank you for growth in that church. And we pray uh, that you would uh, continue to be with them and watch over them, especially those who have uh, been uh, isolated because of uh, the long-term effects of COVID. We are also asked to pray for the church up in Canusi, and we pray uh, for Alistair Wilson as he looks after the church there. Uh, We pray for every uh, member of that uh, small church. Uh, We pray that you would encourage them in their faith. We pray that you would enable them to continue to hear your word and to be built up in their faith. And we pray uh, for that town and that area of Scotland, uh, that gospel ministry and the word of the gospel It might flourish in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. Lord, we also pray for the church in hard places. Now we think of the work of 20 schemes, recognizing that where they uh, are engaged in ministry so often, there are high levels, very high levels of unemployment, uh, addiction, uh, family breakdown, uh, a lack of hope and a lack of opportunity. Lord, we pray that you would give wisdom, you would give perseverance, Uh, You give much of your Holy Spirit uh, so that the church would flourish in some of our housing schemes. Lord, we pray for the church in hard places because there is uh, depopulation, because the church is so small and fragile, because there is so much apathy or resistance. And again, we pray that you'd build up your church and you would tear down barriers of opposition so that men and women and boys and girls would love to hear the message that would save them and bring them true life. We also pray for parts of the world where the church is persecuted, uh, forced to meet in secret, uh, forced to meet under uh, intense uh, scrutiny, uh, facing uh, government opposition, local opposition, uh, challenges from uh, other religious groups. Lord, give our brothers and sisters Uh, faith and hope and love and courage and boldness and wisdom as they seek to live for you. Lord, we continue to pray for the governments of the world. We pray wisdom for them. We pray humble dependence uh, on your word. Uh, We pray that you would enable them to deliver justice uh, and peace. Lord, we recognize ultimately that these come from you as the true king, Uh, But we pray as we're called to uh, for those you have placed in governments in rule over us. Lord, we also pray for uh, some of the ministries that we support in this city, uh, recognizing uh, the challenges and the needs that they are looking to address. We pray for the work of Bethany Christian Trust. Thank you for all that they do with families who are at risk, uh, with those in the homeless community, with those who are uh, struggling with addictions. We remember the work of Friends International as they look to welcome and show kindness uh, to international students, as they look to uh, share something of the love of God with them. Lord, we pray uh, that you would give encouragement to those who are involved in those ministries and may uh, men and women and and boys and girls uh, from Scotland and around the world uh, come to hear and to believe in Jesus as their King and Savior. And now we pray as we come to hear your word that you would enable us to be free of distraction, that your spirit would speak. Pray that 
uh, you would bless Keith as he brings your word to us, that it would do us all lasting good. We pray for our good and for your glory. Amen. So I'll hand over to you now, Keith. Thank you. Good morning. As James said, my name is Keith, and uh, it's a pleasure to be worshiping with you this morning. This morning we're going to be reading from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 21, as we begin our first week in an Advent series. Now you may, if you're anything like me, have noticed that some people have started to celebrate Christmas a little bit early this year. And I actually read an article this past week about that phenomenon, how people have pushed up the Christmas season. And in this article, it was actually interviewing several different people to examine the positive effects of celebrating Christmas early. And there were a couple quotes in here that I found uh, quite notable that I wanted to um, quote for you this morning. One was from a female who's a licensed clinical social worker, and this is what she said. When we feel uncertain, it can help us to focus on what's in our control. We may not be able to control the spread of the coronavirus or travel to see our loved ones, but we can put up Christmas holiday uh, decorations. We can bake our favorite treats and light our favorite seasonal candles. Putting up decorations brings a sense of novelty and fun to everyday life, which is no small feat in a world where every day feels the same. Someone else is later quoted in the article saying this, Who would have imagined that we'd be in a global pandemic and not be around our friends and family? We've got to go full force Christmas wonderland. We have to have walls of trees, green and and red lights, garlands. We're thinking about even putting up snow. We've started so early that by Christmas it might look like an enchanted village in our home. As we see people face these troubling times of this pandemic I think people are perhaps noticing this year more than most the darkness that is around us. And maybe this year more than most, they're, they're trying to push back by holding on to Christmas cheer in order to cause some form of distraction, right? To kind of to separate themselves from the death and the sickness that is surrounding them. Maybe you've had that same desire yourself. You've been anticipating this Christmas season for the cheer and the joy that it brings, But it's this darkness that we recognize that some are trying to gloss over. That's the subject and the setting of our story today. And we see in this darkness that God is at work. So turn turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Matthew 1, 18 through 21. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, as we look at this passage, we ask that you soften our hearts, that you prepare our minds and open our ears, Lord. Help us to see this Christmas message, message, Lord, with new eyes. May your spirit be in us and among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as 
has been stated, this is the first week of Advent. And as I've learned quickly in my short time in Scotland, the church calendar is not something that has been well recognized by Scottish churches. But I think in celebrating Advent and observing Advent, there provides a structure which is to our benefit as we prepare for Christmas. A lot of people kind of lump Advent and Christmas into into one thing, but it's actually very distinct. Advent is meant to prepare us for Christmas. Christmas is a time of of celebration, while Advent is a time of preparation. Advent actually means coming or arrival. So as we observe Advent, we're actually remembering how God's people waited centuries and centuries for the coming of their Messiah. It's a time for us to wait to celebrate the birth of Christmas, birth of Christ at Christmas. But it's also a time for us to wait for the second coming of Christ as well. <clears throat> and so as we think about this Advent season, it's easy for us to just get swept up in the Christmas feelings of, of the cheer and the holidays and the decorations. But Advent really does something that the church really needs. It allows us time to look inward. It allows us time to consider our own sinfulness, our own desperate need for a Savior. And so if we look at the very beginning of the Bible, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that it starts with the creation of the world in Genesis, and we see that God has created a perfect world and placed man and woman in the Garden of Eden. And we see Adam and Eve, they lived in perfect harmony with each other and with God until sin entered the world. We see that God had given them free reign of the garden, but it told them to not eat of one particular tree. But we see Satan comes in as a serpent and he deceives them. He tempts them to question God's goodness and they eat of that fruit. And when they do, sin and death enter the world. But we see at the very beginning, when sin enters the world, God reveals to us in the Bible that he has a rescue plan in place to save his people from their sins. So in Genesis, chapter 3, verses 15, is the very first announcement of the gospel, where God says to the serpent, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And so as we continue to work through the scriptures, we follow the offspring of Eve. We see how God chose to bless a man named Abraham and through his family promised to send a Messiah. So if we look at the very first part of Matthew 1, it lists the lineage of Jesus. This is the family that God promised the Messiah would come from. It starts with Abraham and moves through King David all the way to a poor man named Joseph. And this is where we see God's rescue plan put into place. So as we consider this passage and consider God's rescue plan, I want us to focus really on two things today. One is God's method, and the second is God's mission. So let's first consider the method of God's rescue plan. When we think of methods, maybe think about earlier this week, I, I purchased a tent for our back garden, kind of a, a gazebo thing that would allow us to have people over, since we can't have them in our house, at least provide some shelter from the elements on our back porch. And when it arrived in this big box, I kind of opened it up and it, it had a piece of paper with a link to you, uh, a YouTube video uh, with instructions on how to assemble it. And I kind of threw that to the side and just started trying to build this tent and realized after several minutes I I wasn't doing it right somehow. So I went back to the YouTube video and realized there was a method to get this tent assembled the right way. 
And so in the same way, God has used a specific method to bring about his Messiah. It says in verse 18 that Mary was pledged to a man named Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The method that God uses in this case is that his Savior would be born through a virgin. And so right out of the gates, we see this emphasized, right? It it points out that Joseph is not the father of Jesus. Jesus comes about by the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to remember in biblical times... When someone was betrothed to someone, that's different than what we think of a modern day engagement. This was a solemn vow between a man and a woman that wasn't entered into lightly and that if it, there was to be any separation, it was considered the same as what we think of, a, of as a divorce. <clears throat> During that year of betrothal that would usually last, the, the woman still lived with her family and didn't come together with her husband until after they were married. And so any sort of sexual impurity was considered a form of adultery. And so that's what we see in these verses. When Mary tells Joseph that she's pregnant, we see that Joseph is understandably troubled. This is his wife-to-be. This is the woman that he loves, and it appears as though she has been unfaithful. And so as he mulls over what to do and he considers how he should go about divorcing her, we see an angel of God come to him in a dream in verse 20 and say this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so we see in these few short verses, it's made abundantly clear that Jesus is born of a virgin. It says twice in these verses that he is from the Holy Spirit. It states that Mary and Joseph had not come together. In fact, if you look forward to verse 25, it also confirms that Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. Not only that, but if we look at the way that Joseph responded, right? His initial desire to divorce Mary because of her suspected infidelity confirms that he knew he was not the father. But we see that God has a plan for Joseph as well in this case. He wants Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus. So he gives him the responsibility to name this child. That would give him the opportunity to present himself, Joseph, as the legal parent of Jesus. And so we see that in doing this, God is fulfilling his promise to his people. He said that this Messiah would come through the line of David. Joseph is the descendant of David. Therefore, God is keeping his promise to his people. So you may question then, why does he have to be virgin born? Why did Jesus, why couldn't he just be the biological son of Joseph? And this is a fact that many in our day and age disbelieve, right? They think it's just fairy tale to think that Jesus could be born of a virgin. It really has no bearing on his character or who he was as a person. But I think it's very important that we see in this story, as it points out, it is a necessary method in God's rescue plan. It is an essential part of the Christmas story. And so I want to look at a few reasons why, why this, the, the gospel shows us that this is the case. First of all, we see that the virgin birth is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We see in the Old Testament, it's always this forward-facing, right? There's anticipation, there is foreshadowing of a coming Messiah. And so we see that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
The virgin birth is important because it's what God said would happen. It is God's mean of fulfilling his promise to his people. Secondly, it's important because it demonstrates that Jesus is a supernatural person. God, Jesus came and is fully God and is fully man. And this is hard for us to fathom, hard for us to understand, but we need to recognize that Jesus didn't come as a mere baby born by natural sexual means. He is the Son of God who assumes human likeness. He is fully God and fully man. And we see because of this, it allows us to see Jesus in a different light. We see that we are able to relate to him, that we know Jesus can relate to us. We see throughout the New Testament in the Gospels where it talks about Jesus suffering and Jesus being tempted in the same way that we are. It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, res- in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus, as a man, provides us an example for holy living. But not only that. Though he is 100% man, he is also 100% God. So let's not overlook this miracle that becomes so easy for us just to take for granted during Christmas. This is the eternal, omnipotent God who comes who comes in human form as the fruit of Mary's womb, as it says in Luke. Jesus is not separate from God. He is God, and therefore he is someone who we can worship, someone who is worthy of all of our praise. And lastly, we see the virgin birth is important to the Christmas story because it provides a way for Jesus to be born and to be able to escape the corruption and the pollution of our sinful human nature. Since Jesus was born from the Holy Spirit, he wasn't defiled by sin. He was born and still was the sinless son of God who was able to fulfill the law that we can't keep. He is our sinless savior who is able to go to the cross and be our sinless substitute where his innocent blood would be shed for our sins. So yes, the virgin birth is absolutely important and vital when we consider the Christmas story and the birth of Christ. So don't let be led astray by bad theology or secular doubt. The virgin birth, this divine conception, is essential. Because if Jesus wasn't born by this means, he wouldn't have been any different than anyone else that is listed in the first part of Matthew. It's only because he was our sinless substitute that he can make atonement for sins. And so if that's the method by which God institutes his rescue plan, by sending a savior through a virgin birth, and let's look secondly at his mission. In verse 21, it says, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We see in, the verse, in this verse that God is the one who names this virgin child Jesus. You know, over a decade ago, my wife and I did missions work in China, and we were there for a year. We taught English at a university. And over the course of that year, each of us had nearly 300 Chinese students that we taught. And because our Chinese was very poor, and these names were very difficult for us to remember, what was common was we'd have these, our Chinese students uh, pick an English name. 
that we could remember them by. And it was really neat to see the, the wide variety of names that were selected. While we thought they'd pick what we consider normal names, because Chinese names have a significant meaning to them, they wanted English names that also had a significant meaning. So I had students that were, that were named, um, I had a lucky star, I had a rainbow, I had a snow, uh, I had three girls named Echo, which seemed rather fitting. So in the same way that these students chose names that had meaning or significance to them, we see that God does the same thing in the selection of Jesus' name. We see in the Old Testament how God changed Abram's name to Abraham, to mean the father of many. So in the same way, he looks here at his son, Jesus, and we see that, and see exactly what it means. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua is a contraction for Yahweh save. Yahweh is the name, the Hebrew name, the proper name for God. So Jesus means God saves. And we see this listed numerous times in the Old Testament, this repeated reference to God as our Savior. If we look in Isaiah 43.11, it says, I, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. In Isaiah 45, 21, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. And so we see, just like in the Old Testament where it's emphasizing who is doing the saving, Matthew does the same emphasis in the New Testament. It's actually really interesting if you go back to the Greek to look at the sentence structure, how he's emphasizing who is doing the saving. In this last phrase where it says, because he will save his people from their sins, in the Greek, the first word is the pronoun he. And it's followed by the verb, which says, he will save. So it's literally translated, he, he will save. Matthew's making it eternally clear to us that it's Jesus alone who does the saving. It's Jesus who has the power to save and no one else. And so we also see that the saving is a for sure thing, right? He says he will save, not he might save or he can save. Jesus did not come to earth to create possibilities for us to be saved. Jesus came to save us fully. And so we see that Matthew is making it very clear that we cannot save ourselves, right? No matter how hard we try, especially this Christmas season, no matter how hard we try to cover up the darkness in our lives and around us with Christmas sentimentality and adding more lights to the tree, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Because I guarantee that next Christmas when it rolls around, we're going to be dealing with the same kinds of struggles, right? Lord willing, the coronavirus will be under control, but there'll still be sickness. There'll still be sadness. There'll still be isolation and depression and poverty. There's nothing that we can do that's going to change that. It is Christ alone who saves. And so who does he save? It says very clearly he saves his people. And this is not just referring to the nation of Israel. We know that the Jewish people were waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for this coming Messiah. But Jesus, as a part of his rescue plan, is opening up the plan of salvation that all may be saved through him. Paul says in Romans, there is no difference between Jew or Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all and gives richly to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that applies to us not only in our lineage, in our, in our nationality, but also in our goodness, right? There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. Jesus himself said that he came, to not call, he came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And so we see that Jesus alone does the saving. We are the objects of that saving. What does he save us from? 
It saves us from our sin. And this is the mission in which God came, in which Jesus came. He didn't come to save us from our circumstances. And though while, especially at Christmas, we think about calling out to God to save us from these times, give us peace from our circumstances, we need to recognize that it's not our circumstances that bind us. It's our sin that we need saving from. And so as we enter this Advent season, we need to recognize that the true Christmas spirit doesn't avoid the thought of sin and death, but it looks directly at it. Because until we deal with the bad news, we're not going to fully appreciate the good news. We need to recognize that we are all sinners. That sin has separated us from God. That the penalty for sin is death. And it's only through the Son of God, who is our sinless substitute, that we may have life. Paul says that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Does that resonate with you? If you're not a believer, do you feel like you can apply that to your lives to recognize that you are a sinner in need of grace? The reason that Jesus was born as a virgin is so that he could live a sinless life and be our sinless substitute on the cross. That we may be freed from the punishment of sins and have eternal life. And the neat thing is, it's the same Holy Spirit that brought life to Mary's womb. That's the same Spirit who Jesus offers to us. That it's that same Spirit that provides us with the power and the ability to have faith that we may also have newness of life in Christ. And so you may look around yourself and say, well, you know, Jesus might have come to earth, but I'm not quite sure what he came to save or fix because the world's still a pretty messed up place. But as we look at Advent, as we observe this season, that's exactly the thought that is worth examining. For although we await a time for the birth of Jesus that we celebrate on December 25th, we also wait for a time where Christ will come again. And we know that at that time, he says that he will come to judge the living and the dead. He will come to overthrow Satan eternally and destroy death. You know, earlier this week I was running along um, Union Canal and where it starts just west of the meadows, um, there's this large mural on the side of the wall. I don't know if it's new or not. It was the first time I saw it. And it says, uh, perfection is a matter of time. And while it's a, it's a good thought and it kind of brightened up that building, I wondered, what, do people really believe that? Is that something that you believe, that perfection is just a matter of time? That if you wait long enough or try hard enough, you can solve the problems of this world. I think that, you know, I I think we're really trending in the opposite direction, right? It's not time that's going to save us. It's only Jesus by his blood that we can be saved. So I think as we look at this Advent season, if you do not know Christ, I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart, to recognize your need for a savior to recognize that darkness is not just around you but it is inside each one of us and to turn to Jesus knowing that he is coming again and will judge those who are not found in him we have a sinless savior and that is the hope of Christmas that lights and candy and candles cannot provide and so for those of us who are in Christ 
understand that this Advent season is something that we may observe once a year, but it is really a life in which we live. We live in this stage between the first coming of Christ and his second coming. We live between this tension of what is now and what we know things ought to be. And so I encourage you to have hope. Keep the faith because perfection is coming. It's coming in the form of Jesus. So this Advent season, let us look forward with eager anticipation when Christ will return in all his splendor, in all his glory, when he will destroy the serpent eternally, where he will establish a new heaven and a new earth, and we may live in unity with Christ our Savior forever. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we are surrounded by darkness, help us to recognize the darkness that is within each one of us. Help us to recognize, God, that we are in need of a Savior. And so help us to turn to Christ, who is born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, our sinless Savior, who became our sinless substitute. Lord, allow that truth to permeate our lives. Allow that to be the source of our joy this Christmas and throughout the year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We'll remain seated and sing in your hearts if you're here. If you're watching live stream, please feel free to sing along.
You can stand with me to receive our benediction. Our benediction comes from the book of Revelation. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, to him who testifies, surely I am coming again. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen.